All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the CEO Insider. I am your host, Sam Demery. That's kind of a lame intro to a podcast, but I am excited for episode three. Today we have Darian George. He's the CEO of McKinsey Eason, one of Fort Worth's largest executive search firms. We're going to be talking a little bit about hiring strategies as well as uh, turnover costs, the differences in uh, turnover costs between um, an executive level position and an entry level position as well as what the 60-40 rule means to Darian. Um, and finally, we're going to get one piece of advice for a CEO who is considering an executive. So very excited to welcome on Darian George, CEO of McKinsey Eason. Very, very excited about, about these questions, Darian, because I'm amazed that the, the number of conversations I've had with business owners whose top priority or top two or three priorities is finding the right leadership roles that are lining with, with the company's culture and values. I mean, it's, it's just, it's amazing how many business owners that's, that's one of their top priorities. Um, and I know McKinsey Eason's differentiator after reviewing the website and doing a little bit of research on the company, it seems like your differentiator is the amount of time you spent on the front end uh, with, with leadership assessments. So can, it is. can you walk me through, can you walk me through the process of, of how you develop a comprehensive executive assessment for, for your clients? Yeah. So, I mean, you sort of the the big differentiator for us, you know, executive search has been around for a long time, um, and I think it's it's sort of it's one of those shrinking markets because a lot of people think with LinkedIn and everything they can sort of go out and do it on their own, um, and you've got the the big boys, the Corn Fairies, the Wick Kiefer's, uh, you know, the Hydric, the the Russell Reynolds, those guys that you know they've got huge networks. They they do business with a lot of people. Um, and they go out and say, hey, we're going to find the best talent. And, and you know, they, they give you three candidates and say, hey, here you go. Hire one of these. Um, and we've just had so many clients. And you're seeing more of the market, especially the talent market, move to a, a, a realization that it's not just about best talent. Um, best talent is sort of a misnomer. You can have someone that is truly a best talent in one organization that's going to fail in another. And, and the reason is because the, you know, every organization has a very unique culture, core values, and vision. Um, a great example of that, we have a, a client that we went out and we were doing some consulting with, and they had been looking for like an EVP of sales uh, for a while. And they were a, a data company, uh, essentially a data analytics company where they work nationally where companies come to them and say, hey, where should we put, you know, this building or this restaurant or, you know, what's our, our target market for this? And they've been looking for EVP sales for a long time. They hired one of the big boys and um, they came and gave them three candidates and said, hire one of these. You can't go wrong. So they did. They hired a guy uh, who was a senior vice president of sales at PepsiCo. And and so oh, you got to think of PepsiCo is this massive organization nationwide Guy's probably got 3,000 salespeople underneath him. Um, sits in a corner office on the 12th floor. You know, and, and PepsiCo doesn't, they don't do anything unless they've tested a product probably 3,000 times. Flip over to where, you know, they that they hired in, in this data analytics firm. They don't have offices. It's a bullpen, just giant big bullpen. They, uh, their mantra is, we'll try anything once. And I laughed and I said, well, how long did, did – uh, is he still here? How long did he work out? And they said, no, um, he was gone in 90 days. And, and, and that's exactly why. I see it. it. It's also the number one reason that 
that mergers and acquisitions fail is because the company that's being acquired has such a different culture. The, the, the executive team has a different culture, core values, and vision than the company that's acquiring them. Um, that's that's 60% of the reason of why most companies, when they do an acquisition, the acquisition fails is because of that specifically. So what we do is we go in and we focus specifically on that when we first meet with clients, whether it's on a consulting engagement or executive search. We need to really understand what's the culture. And, it, and, and it's funny because when you ask someone at their company, hey, what's your culture? They have this vision of what it is. But most of the time, it's not actually what it is. Um, it's a portion of what it is, but what they don't see is the culture is what happens every day. It's how people dress. It's what the informal lines of communication are from you know the the guys on the the, the front lines to you know the the CEO. It's the it's it's how decisions get made both formally and informally. Um, it, it's it's how people treat everyone, right? Is it more of a business, I mean, true business environment where you show up, you do your thing, uh, you know, there's some interaction and then people go home? Or is it one of those things of where people have been there for a long time and it's like their other family, right? So you have all of these unique things, but in most people, most of the time people don't actually know what their real culture is because it's it's what you see every day, but you don't realize it. And, and most of the time when people talk about their culture, it's what they want it to be. Want it to be. It's where they wish it was. And so we go in and we look at that. We look at their core values. See, are they actually following their core values? Is that, is that what they hire off of? Um, and what's the vision? The vision's huge because you look at a C-level team, any sort of leadership role, if you've got a company that's, say, at $50 million and they're trying to grow to 150, not everybody can do that. There are some really talented people that can come in and do very steady, slow growth from 50 to 55, but they're not the guy or the girl that's going to come in and grow it from you know, $50 million to 150 in five years. Um, so you have to ha- align all three. And so, I mean, really what it is is going in and sit down and, and unfortunately, you know, some of this just takes some experience of being able to assess what is the culture, understanding what the vision is, and, and, and looking at all three and combining those going forward. Um, did, that, did that answer your question? Oh, 100%. Yeah, that was an absolutely okay. fantastic answer. And, and actually, it's great because your, your story with PepsiCo, the VP of PepsiCo, I think uh, it aligns well with the next question, which is, um, I've found that, that turnover costs are always a hot topic with business owners, and I think people could debate all day, every day about you know, ex- exactly what, what the turnover costs are to each company, depending on their size and their industry, and, uh, and the position that's being turned over. So I was curious, can you ballpark, I mean, what the average turnover cost is for an entry-level position versus an executive position, or just like what the percentage difference is, how much more important it is? to fill in the spot of an executive position versus a lower level position? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think it, there's what when you go out and you do research and and we're real big on on continuing to look at what is the latest research and then what's the actual science on on, on everything. When you look at what's out there, 
people talk it's anywhere from 3x to 10x of the the compensation so you know um I think a lot of that, I mean, it truly, there's no way to really actually estimate what the actual cost is. It's just there's too many intangibles that go into it. But I can say, no matter what it is, there's a lot of money that you don't realize that goes into it beyond just compensation that's lost. You have, I mean, you got to think about um you know, the time that goes into for when you're first going out and whether you're doing the recruitment or someone else, all the time that someone's spending going out, uh, developing that pipeline, bringing those people in, interviewing them. When you hire somebody, I don't care if it's one week, three months, nine months, if you lose somebody within the first year, you've lost all that time because on average it takes – an individual truly to get ramped up in no matter what organization it is, six months. I mean, that's minimum. So you got to think you're losing the six months of, of investment in other people's time and training those people, getting them up and running, uh, as well as the cost of the compensation, plus the time you know that you spent down before and now afterwards trying to re-recruit someone. So, I mean, yeah, it can easily be three to, uh, you know, uh, ten times the cost. Now, talking the difference between executive position and an entry-level position, for an executive position, I, and there's, I don't know how much there is on actual studies on this entry-level versus executive, I would say that they're probably about the same. It just, you know, an entry-level position, the compensation isn't as much, and typically you can get them trained a little faster. Um, but it's you know it's the churn and burn that you don't want to get into. Uh, the problem with and I don't care if it's entry level to executive. I, I'm just an absolute. My own personal talent philosophy is that talent, in no matter what organization is, is your number one asset. It doesn't matter what you do. I don't matter. It doesn't matter if you have software, technology, apps. Uh, if you're a services organization, uh, city, municipality, you name it, bankers, assets are your number one. Uh, I mean, it, your talent is your number one asset. And, and, and the reason is I've never heard one – I've never heard a CEO once say mediocre talent has really made us profitable. And it doesn't matter if it's from entry level or to your executives, right? Your entry level typically are the, the people who are on the front lines with your clients. So if you have a really, really untalented, uh, poor-performing entry-level person, that's usually customer service. That's what drives people away. So I'm a big believer, and I don't care what level it is, you have to have good talent. Really interesting and a great point. I actually had Chris Powers, the uh, the CEO at Port Capital, on earlier, and we were talking about different hiring philosophies. And uh, I was asking him what kind of a, a hiring and recruiting philosophy he had. Was it hire fast, fire fast, hire slow, fire slow? And it sounds like you guys have an aligned philosophy. His his philosophy was, was hire slow, fire fast, because he can usually figure out within the first 60 to 90 days whether or not a, a an employee is going to be able to fit with the culture. And the vision That's of the true. company. Yeah, and, and in fact, you know, um, I, I use the analogy all the time. You know, if you're married, um, you didn't meet your your spouse and get married after an hour, right? 
And, and that's how most people approach hiring. They look at a resume, they bring them in for an hour-long interview, and then they make a decision, and, and they, uh, they, they, they send out an offer letter and, and, and have them join. You spend more time at work than you do typically with your family. So why would you spend such a short amount of time on the front end to see if they weren't the right fit for your culture, core values, and vision? Right. right. And, and, and we jump through a lot of hoops. I think uh, one of the number one questions we get asked are, well, how do you tell what the culture of a person is? Right. I mean, how do you do that? And there's a number of ways that we do that, because that's that's where I think a lot of people fail on the interviewing process of how do you really determine what a candidate's culture is and if they're going to fit with the culture of the organization? Um and, and I think that's really, truly, probably the number one place that people fail on the front end is is looking at people's interview processes are so outdated, um, and and it's not rocket science, but it's no different than you know uh, engineers. That's what they do, and and I wouldn't know how to engineer a house or a building, um, and, and so people go into interviews and they don't have they don't have any of the uh, scientifically proven methodologies that work to help you find the right person. And so that's why that's one of the biggest reasons we opened the consulting side is just because it was so frustrating. We'd go in, we'd, you know, on the search side, we'd go in and we'd see clients hire the wrong person because they didn't have the right interviewing techniques and methodologies set up. So, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I don't know if I agree with fire fast, but because um, I think that that goes into the talent management side, but yeah, I mean, I think that you 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 take it slow, you find the right person, uh, and it's easier to do that than hire the wrong person and have to to redo the search. Darren, uh, I I stalked you on LinkedIn a little bit, and I noticed in August 2016 you wrote an article, really interesting article on the 60/40 rule. I was hoping you could expand on for the CEOs that are that are considering an executive hire. Do you mind explaining this rule, the 60/40 rule? Yeah, so the 60-40 rule is um, – so so talking a little about that churn and burn, right? Um, most people – you look at most organizations out there. They have a long track record of keeping people, and they've been there forever, right? Um, well, th- there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that breeds a a a, a – a, a culture of loyalty. There's there's a lot of institutional knowledge that are, that's there, um, but the problem with that is that you know when you have all of the same people, right, that are moving up through your organization, there's not a lot of innovation happen. There's not a lot of people that are bringing fresh ideas in, so you become stale. Um, and the same same idea on you know you'd see a lot of organizations, and this most most organizations are one or the other. It's it's a constant churn and burn where from the the top to the bottom you have you know 60 plus percent of your 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 people are new hires, and they're, you're constantly going through new people. Well, there's no institutional knowledge. There's no culture. Um, you may have lots of new ideas, but you can't sustain yourself that way. So if, if you look, um, 60, the, and it this obviously depends on the industry, but 60-40 is sort of the rule of thumb that you want to look at 
of people that you're promoting in your organization versus bringing in from the outside. Bringing 40% of your leadership team from the outside provides new ideas. It provides a different viewpoint of how they see things. Um, it gives you it, it it keeps from that of having that group think that develops when your leadership team is all the people same people that have that have grown up you know within the organization that's why if you look at most um look at most collegiate uh professors they don't like you to get your undergrad masters and phd all at the same institution and the reason is because there's that same group think, right? They want you to go to different institutions and get different viewpoints on, you know, whatever your subject matter is, right? History, whatever. Um, because if you don't, you get that group think. You, you are having the same people, same professors that you work through. And it's the same deal. It's the same in, in private sector. If you have 80, 90% of all of your people being promoted from within, you get group think. You're stale. You're not innovative. Um, so we're a big proponent of looking to see over the course of you know a number of years uh, to see what is that mix that you're actually doing. Are you promoting? Are you developing your talent within? So 60 percent of those are being promoted within, and then you're bringing in forty percent from the outside. So, Darren, a lot of our listeners are small business owners, companies that have between five and 100 or 150 employees. So yep. for those business owners that have a limited amount of resources and they just they can't afford to make the mistake of hiring the wrong VP of sales or C-level executives, what, what is one piece of advice that you have for a CEO who is considering hiring an executive uh, here in the DFW area? Well, I'd say they probably just need to hire us. <laughs> but, I, you know, so we have clients that we've worked with that are true startups, um, you know, so one to two people. In fact, I just met a guy yesterday. Uh, he's in development, does uh, does commercial development. And he's got a couple of uh, of what I would call partners, but they don't really, they're more of just investment partners or silent partners. And he's like, I really need to bring a true junior partner on. But I mean, I just, I cannot afford one, the time, the headache and the financials to bring on the wrong person. Um, and, and, and I get it. I mean, I think most companies have been there. It's a lot easier for an IBM to absorb one a cost of a bad hire versus it is, you know, any small business. So as I tell people, you know, as I was telling him yesterday, one, the number one thing you got to do, you're not going to find good people by posting on LinkedIn, by posting, you know, on Monster, uh, as, as I call post and pray. You've got to have a really, really large pipeline through networking, whether it's you know hiring someone like us, like an executive search firm. You want to open up your pipeline and have it so large. And the reason I say that, there's nothing wrong. I don't, I don't want to discount posts on LinkedIn or something like that. But if you look at the market, right, at most, I don't care what industry is, only a third of the market at any one time is looking for a job. So you're cutting out at least two-thirds of the market when you're looking for someone if you only post on the Internet. 
Indeed, you know, LinkedIn, whatever. So you're cutting out a tremendous amount of your, your, your marketplace that are really, those are the talented people. Most of the time, the talented people aren't the ones that are looking for a job. They're happy. They're, they're, they're doing extremely well. They're being taken care of. They're being compensated. You have to approach them. You've got to develop that pipeline through networking or, you know, an executive search firm or internally having someone that's going out and developing that pipeline uh, of talent that you could want to recruit over. Um, and the second thing is once you get that pipeline of talent, and let me take a step back. Talking about the people that are actively looking, let's just say a tenth of the market to a third of the market at any one time. Research has shown that out of the people that are looking, right, right, let's just say 90% of the people that are looking are looking because they're unhappy or their job is unhappy with them. So you got 10% of that marketplace that, that is actively looking at any one time because of some sort of transition, right? The, they've, they've just gone as far as they can go in their organization, and, you know, their boss is just never going anywhere. He's not going to retire or whatever, so they're looking. So that next step up. But the majority of the marketplace that's looking, they're looking because they're unhappy. And research has shown that if they're unhappy or their job's unhappy with them for their performance, over 60% of the time, they're going to bring that to your organization. And I just, for the life of me, have never understood why people think that posting is going to find you the best talent. Typically, what you're, bu what you're buying is someone else's retreads because it didn't work there. And so I'm just a big believer of coming up with a pipeline of reaching out to candidates or reaching out to people through networking or search firms that you're going out and finding the best talent. Because, again, talent is your best asset. Second thing I'd tell any small business is take it slow, right? Go through a really, really, really good interview process to make sure that it's the right fit. Same, same analogy back to the wedding, right? You don't get married after meeting somebody for an hour. You know, the, the, out of everybody I know, the soonest I've heard of someone getting married uh, after knowing someone is six weeks. And, that, and people think that's crazy. So why would you do it with, with a job, right? So um, I, I would say have a really robust interview process that includes a number of things. One, a very structured interview so you can compare candidates um, equally to each other. Two, don't hire off a gut feeling. It's the number one cause of bad hires. People hire people that they think that they can go have a beer with. And that does not equate to someone that's going to do a good job in the role, have the skill set, and a fit for your, your organization, right? A fit is in the culture, core values, and vision. So what you want to do is make sure that you're looking for and, and interviewing based on do they have the skill set, one, and two, are they a fit for the organization? And, and Unfortunately, most people that interview, they don't know how to interview, and they interview and, and they do this chit-chat back and forth. They connect with the person. They, they think, oh, yeah, I really connect with that person. And, and the statistics are that most people don't hang out with and go have a beer with the people they work with in the first place. So why hire that way? Really good point, Darren. And I'm, I'm curious, it's kind of off topic, for your company, McKenzie Eason, uh, are the majority of your new leads coming in through referral sources? Or where where, almost, do, you, where do you find new clients? Almost all of our clients come from referrals, almost every okay. single one of them. Uh, Very interesting. I'd say in the probably the past five years, uh, we've had 
I can remember one time we've randomly gotten a cold call where they were like, hey, you know, uh, can you tell us blah, 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 which you, you just randomly usually don't get. Um, and, and so most of them, and we're, you know, we're a boutique firm, so we don't do a lot of uh, reaching out to, to people that we don't know because people don't, don't, they don't want to take your call. I mean, there's a, you know, unless they really understand the, the differentiator that we bring, um, they don't want to sit down and, and take the time to talk to us. So um, we get most of our, our referrals from business, from, from our, our existing business. Um, we got a call just about a month ago uh, from a CEO who said, hey, I had, uh, I had lunch yesterday with uh, one of your clients who's one of our clients, and he could not stop glowing about what you guys had done for them um, for for a, a director level search and and what you guys had done to change their entire interview process. Like he said, you literally turned it on its head and everybody was so amazed at how much better the interview process is um, through your consulting side. And I said, well, you know, it was a lot of fun and we really enjoyed it and we're, we're glad that they're happy and they're like, well, we'd like to sit down and talk. So we get a lot of those mm-hmm. calls um, and I think those are the best ones because people – you know, it's better to hear from someone else that says you guys should go talk to these guys, versus us calling into someone and saying, "Hey, let's sit down and you know, you're yeah. trying to pitch your wares." So, exactly. Yeah, I was I was just curious, and and you know, it's interesting. I, it feel it seems like a lot of business owners just don't really fully understand all of the variables uh, that go into the turnover costs, not only monetarily but also. You know, it can be wasted emotionally. What does what kind of an impact does that have when there's high turnover on the morale and the culture, the company culture? Um, so just understanding all of the tangibles and the intangibles that go into turnover costs and why it's so important to really focus on that assessment on the front end and make sure that this candidate's going to align with the company's values and and vision, I think, is extremely important. It's, I, I mean, it's just amazing how many companies still truly don't hire off of you know the culture core values and vision right it's it's like they look at a resume they look at skill set um and unfortunately you know there's a lot of different types of people i mean let's just take engineers right so engineers are very technical field but engineers right from one organization to the other are not going to fit in and, you know, I was just talking with a client the other day, and they were like, man, we've had a couple of hires. And, I mean, we, we used to just look at resume and be like, wow, they're very technically proficient. We should, you know, make an offer. And they come in, and, and they're what they call cancers, right? I mean, they're just they're horrible for the organization. Um, you know, as I say, everybody's got their own talent philosophy of, of within an organization of people that, that will work, right? So in a lot of places – it's okay to have really sharp elbows. You know, let's just take, for instance, private equity companies. You know, private equity companies, their reason for existing is to go in and acquire companies, grow them by X number, and sell them within three to five years. You know, your Fortune 50 companies, you know, people that are running divisions, there's a lot more latitude for what I call sharp elbows, um, which, which basically what sharp elbows is somebody who has really, really great talent, understands business, I mean, just a true moneymaker, right, can, can, can make something just extremely profitable. 
but they got sharp elbows because they got personality issues, or you know, they they tend to to drive people off or or piss people off, and so mm-hmm. you know, and then you've got organizations that are like, look, we don't need that, we don't want that, we've got a we've got a very kumbaya family here, and we don't we don't we don't allow sharp elbows, and so. A lot of that, that's where, I mean, truly, it just goes back to if you if you aren't really looking and interviewing for what's a fit for the culture, core values, and vision, you're doing it wrong. Um, there are lots and lots of people out there that have the skill set for any job. It's finding the person that has the skill set and that fits the organization. Well, Darren, listen, man, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to speak with me today. I'm curious for those for those Fort Worth business owners out there that are considering hiring an executive, um, and they want to they want to reach out to you and get in contact with you and learn a little bit more about McKinsey Easton. How would you recommend they they do so? Uh, either shoot me an email or give us a call. Um, my, my office number is eight one seven nine two two nine one five two, and uh, would love to to chat and help anybody out. We we love going in and helping organizations be better internally. Right. I mean, that's just that for us, that's that's just such a win win because they're able to find better people and better talent. And that's uh, it's it's a great feeling. And uh, when they see the results, it's it's really instead of it just being a one off, we love being able to go in and help help clients be better internally. All right. Huge shout out to Terry and George. That was one of my favorite podcast episodes. Uh, really hope we can have Darian back on the podcast sometime in the next six months or so. Um, but stay tuned. We got uh, we got another exciting podcast coming up with Chris Powers. He is the CEO of Fort Capital. Um, Fort Capital is one of Fort Worth's largest real estate firms. And we're going to dive into some pretty controversial entrepreneurial questions. So stay tuned.